enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holla if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred. If you don't like it, then fuck it. Ay. We gonna win in the end. Yeah, we gonna live in abundance. I gotta keep it a hundred. If you don't like it, then fuck it. Ay. We gonna win in the end. Yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we live in. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system, or else you're just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling? Peace, everyone. Peace, everybody out there in the airwaves. My name is Jamar Jabari, and welcome back to another episode of Jabari Vok Podcast. Um, I am here with a special guest um, to go into context what we're talking about um, very quickly. There has been this insurgence, which I call a great insurgence, actually, of the left in Latin America. And the far right does not like this at all and they are losing the battle as we see in brazil but another coup happened that's not getting as much media attention as it really should this coup happened in peru where a democratically elected president was removed from his seat and the vice president actually has taken over people are dying um, and they, the, the people of Peru are standing up. Our last poll shows 75% are against this. Um, so I want to talk more about, about uh, the situation in Peru with, with Dill- Dillinger. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was going to Nelly. It's a French name. It's supposed to be pronounced Didier, but nobody in my family ever, ever said that. Didier Ortiz. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for masking your name, yeah. but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> definitely, definitely. You know, one thing that I think we should know to understand what's going on in Peru is to look at it, you know, in its own history and then in Latin America. I think that a lot of your viewers are probably very familiar with the U.S. and Latin America, the general development of Latin America. And there is this wave, right, left wave. Uh, some would hope a red wave, perhaps, right? But there was a mm-hmm. real red wave going on in Latin America with the beginning of the Cuban, the triumph of the Cuban Revolution, but also the triumph right. of the Mexican Revolution. And so there was a lot of uh, substantial communist movements, socialists and workers and peasants movements throughout Latin America. Once the Soviet Union is dissolved, the U.S. kind of flexes its unipolar muscles for about 30 years. But now those right. muscles have been worn out. Because the crisis of imperialism, which really took a, a new pitch of intensity after the triumph of the Vietnamese revolution over U.S. imperialism, that crisis never ended. Even though the Soviet right. Union dissolved and the socialist camp in Eastern Europe also dissolved, the U.S. empire was still on its way out. It just happened to have a good PR moment and a good economic situation by which to span eastward and declare itself the winner of history. But right. history uh, moves on. Yeah, and, 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 and it does. And just like any empire in the past, they always fall. Yes. And I think that's what the United States is afraid of. 
um, but on a level where they don't think that they're failing as a as a country, but on the level that they are failing in their influence of controlling and dictating what is the rule of law for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the situation in Peru, you know, to give you a big picture, and I, right. I've been discussing this in in other outlets before. Without going all the way back to the Tawantinsuyu era of the of the Incas, right? Uh, yeah. a, a very broad stroke on this is that Peru inherited the feudal system of um, latifundio from the Spanish Empire, and this mm-hmm. latifundio defined strata of people, classes of people that have been maintained almost completely uninterrupted until 1968. The major interruption being the a gesture of President Simon Bolivar. Simon Bolivar was also president of Peru. I think he was the mm-hmm. second president. But once he left office, the oligarchs in Peru, you know, took over and and held very firmly onto power for over a hundred years. In 1968, mm-hmm. uh, General Juan Velasco Alvarado basically uh, went through with a coup and took over. Into 1968, 90% of the land was owned by 10 families. Now, those 10 families are now in a confederation called the Confiep. They're now uh, not aristocratic families, but they're entrepreneurs and uh, mm. job creators, right? But all their wealth comes from a grant given by the monarchs of uh, the Iberian Peninsula, right? The Catholic, okay. as they were called at that time. It should be noted that the Peruvian identity is older than the Spaniard identity. The Peruvian nation is older than the Spanish nation because... That concept of Spain as a nation did not exist when the Republic right. was founded. But without oh, wow. getting I did not know that. that history, yeah, it's a lot of history. It's a lot of people think yeah. that Spanish came and and conquered uh, or colonized Latin America, but the this concept of Spanish was not a a, a working concept in the 1500s. Right. Without getting into all the history, <laughs> Juan Velasco Alvarado uh, does a coup. And he implements an agrarian reform. At that point, the agrarian reform uh, gives a lot of land back to the peasants. The issue, of course, is that the cooperatives that were launched and the very uh, various methods by which the agrarian reform took place left much to be desired. Now, it's very easy for somebody like me in Florida in 2023 to criticize it, right? So, you know, whatever. But many people mm-hmm. criticized it at that time that were present in those moments and were part of those movements. <clears throat> Among those was, of course, the fact that the cooperatives would close their membership after a, a certain period, and then they would only hire a rural workers. Now, cooperative okay. meant that you owned part of the land and that you had a vote in the administration of the land, what would happen to it, what crops would be grown, what would be invested in. But what occurred was that a small group of peasants became members, and that's it, the end. Nobody else got to be a member. Everybody would have to just work for those peasants. And so by the 1980s, there was now a class division between the peasantry of Peru, which was just 20 years before, landless, completely disenfranchised. Now you had some rich peasants and some poor peasants and an intermediate strata. Something like what you see perhaps, and this is not the best analogy and analogies are not the best way to analyze the situation, but just for the sake of brevity, uh, perhaps uh, Soviet Russia right after uh, the conquest of power by the uh, Bolsheviks. There is these contradictions at play. One of the biggest 
problems, of course, is, is that if you want to unite this mass of peasants against semi-feudalism, neo-colonialism, and cap capitalism and imperialism, now you have a harder situation. In the 1960s, yeah. Hector Bejar, um, who was, and in fact, I have one of his books, he wrote uh, a book about Velasco because he was part of the movement that Velasco uh, helped found. And he was also the first chancellor under President Pedro Castillo. He was the first one to, to get out, to be kicked out. Uh, he wanted, mm. he was part of an armed struggle uh, of the MIR, Movimiento Izquierdista Revolucionario, so the revolutionary left movement in Peru. And uh, he met in, in this uh, great adventure, if you will, he met Abimael Guzman Reynoso, codenamed, eventually codenamed Chairman Gonzalo, which would lead the organization we call the Communist Party of Peru, Shining Path, right? Okay. But, but Abimael Guzman Reynoso, internationally known as Chairman Gonzalo, he didn't think that there should be an armed struggle at that time. This is the 1960s. And in fact, right, he right. thought that the time was not right. He thought the time was right in 1980. At that point, 1980, you have substantial contradictions in the peasantry. And uh, in my honest, humble opinion, right? Mm -hmm. 2023, I don't think that they were able to handle the contradictions among the people, taking an ultra-leftist stance, uh, eventually turned against a lot of the people, and that was their undoing. But why do I give you this whole scope of things? Because mm -hmm. this is where the Fujimorista regime, which is still in office, is still in power, came into being. Fujimorismo is organized crime as the state. That is to say, a network of uh, smugglers of uh, perhaps uh, falsifiers of documents of literal uh, white collar criminals gathered together to get into office through Alberto Fujimori Fujimori. He was the alternative to the status quo. Uh, I think the name was called the Fredemo Front, which was an, a typical neoliberal um, movement. And Fujimori came in as a right populist, and he got elected and in 1992 with the blessing of the U.S. empire that was flexing his unipolar muscles, did mm -hmm. a self-coup and took over the government. Basically, the army overthrew the Congress, and he imposed a new constitution, the Constitution of 1993, on the Peruvian people. He stayed in office until the year 2000, in which uh, corruption charges against him were so much that he had to flee to Japan because he is of Japan in ancestry and is able to claim the Japanese citizenship. And in wow. fact, he ran for office in Japan for the, the Japanese diet in order to not be extradited to Peru. And he resigned through facts. Now, when he resigned through facts, 90% of all the Fujimoristas decided that they were not Fujimoristas anymore in the sense that they changed their jersey. But they didn't change what they did and they didn't change how they thought and so Fujimorismo lives on on people that will cross their heart, swear to die. They're not Fujimorista. They used to be Fujimorista. They still support the Dina Baluarte coup regime. They still support the constitution. Oh, wow. They still support the policies of Fujimori. They support everything except saying I'm Fujimorista. They also want the release of Fujimori from prison. So it's basically a, a, a license for a gamut of right-wing parties to buy for office and claim that there's some alternative, perhaps to the Fujimorismo of the 90s, 
and mm -hmm. to any alternative perhaps that comes about through the people's struggles. All so that's what we're seeing right now. Is that ideology of the right wing coup? It's not a right. It's not an ideology because it's not. For example, if you go to El Salvador, you know, uh -huh. you have, for example, somebody like Nayib Bukele. You may disagree with the way that he's handling gangs. I think there's a lot of valid criticisms as uh -huh. to that. But he has a plan. If you go to Bolsonaro in uh, Brazil, he also has a methodology that is, you know, consistent in his own head of how to handle X, Y, and Z issue. Perhaps the same thing with Macri in Argentina. The same thing okay. with Fujimorismo in Colombia. But in Fujimorismo, there is no real policy to, to carry out anything. So they get into power, they steal, <laughs> they run, and then they get arrested. So oh every my God. single president, with the exception of one, every single president, with the exception of uh, Belaunde in 1980, has been sent to jail after leaving office. Since wow. After Velasco Alvarado got cooed himself, the guy who cooed him, he died in prison, I believe, last year. He was sentenced to prison for life for crimes against humanity. And wow. every other president went to jail. Oh, one other exception was Alan Garcia, who killed himself as he was being arrested to go to jail. So oh, wow. all these uh, politicians followed that same order. You get into office, you rob, and then you run. You Jeez, go to Miami, nice. you sign through fax, and you get the F out. So oh it's my not even like there's a, a, a policy being carried out. You know, you have like the Uribistas in Colombia. They stay in office the whole time. They they steal and then yeah, they steal they Colombia, do. and they do their thing. They serve imperialism well. In Peru, there's simply no culture among the right wing of even carrying out a right wing agenda per se. It's more like we're going to pass laws that imperialism has said we should, and then we're going to grab our money, and then we're going to run. The end. Alejandro Toledo, for example, he lives in the U.S. He's uh, being held until he gets extradited. And why did he come to the U.S.? Because he already knew that his role was to get into office, pass a couple of laws, rob, and then run to the U.S. where he would be protected. That's what we're seeing. So now This is wild. Why do I give you this whole context <laughs> for the following reason? Pedro yeah. Castillo is both at the same time the most popular politician in Peru by far right. in a very long time. Yeah. He's also only got the support of 20% of the population. Mm. Now, this mm. 20% is hardcore. This 20% started shutting down streets the day he got arrested. This wow. 20% is That's not amazing. paralyzed. Yeah. This 20% is the key. They were the key at the beginning. How were they able to rally 71% plus Peruvians to oppose the Dina Boluarte coup regime? Yeah. First, they demanded that Pedro Castillo should be released. They also demand the reinstitution of the 1979 constitution, which was mm. overthrown by Fujimori. And then they say that we should have a, uh, an assembly, a constituent assembly to write a new constitution. Pedro Castillo, when his actions in December the 7th, I mean, yes, December the 7th, 2022, can only be legally legitimized through the Constitution of 1979. Why do I, why do I give you this context of the Constitution of 1979? For two reasons. The Constitution of mm -hmm. 1979 was drafted by a constituent assembly made up of a lot of communists. I mean, like a lot of just workers and peasant parties, Marxist-Leninist parties, it was substantially awesome. communist, yes. 
a lot of different, uh, a variety of communists. In fact, like a, a substantial um, spectrum of, of communists, everybody who is Marxist, Leninist in some way or another, but has an interpretation mm -hmm. perhaps that differs from the other. And it was headed yeah. by Victor Raul Ayala Torre, who was the leader of the APRA party, which was at that time the biggest quote unquote left party eventually became a, uh, another appendage of Fujimorismo. But that 1979 constitution, which was very progressive for its time, and which was uh -huh. overthrown by the Fujimori uh, coup, would legitimize Pedro Castillo closing down Congress. Because he could simply say, and would and could say, and should have said perhaps, this Congress is illegitimate as the whole establishment. Now, what is... Oh, so that's why he's able to do that. I was yeah. a little confused on how he was able to do that. The thing is, is that there's two there's a couple of, of, of facts I guess that should be should be reached at. First of all, the 1993 uh -huh. constitution has this uh provision called the contract laws. When the state enters into a contract with an international corporation, that contract okay. is at the same level as the constitution. It cannot be changed by Congress. Congress can never pass a law to change that contract. So the revolutionaries, the patriots in the struggle, they say, look, if we simply say goodbye in 1993 constitution, we have a new constituent assembly, the constitution of 2023 and so on, the imperialists, they're gonna have a legal recourse by which to attack us, by which to sanction us, because they're gonna say they're taking all, they're breaking all the contracts, they're taking all these resources from us, they're expropriating us, they're robbing us, and hence we need to take you to court and we need to attack you and so on. Whereas if the population says, wait a minute, that all that was illegitimate, it's like if I mm. snatch your cell phone and right. I run away and then I sell it to somebody else, that other person can say, well, uh, I paid for this phone. Yeah, but you bought a, a stolen phone. That's what <laughs> That doesn't make okay. you the rightful owner of that phone because you pay a criminal for it. So, Mr. Uh, Texaco, Mr. British Mining Company, mm -hmm. you just stole, you just bought a stolen phone. That ain't your phone. And of course, uh, the question with the legality of Castillo, of course, the 1993 Constitution is a very presidentialist constitution. What do I mean by that? I'll give you an example. In the bourgeois mm -hmm. republics, 90% of the time, if you go to Germany, Bel um, France, uh, Spain, Britain, even the despicable criminal state of Israel, if you go to all these countries, if the legislature passes a motion of no confidence on the executive, the executive resigns and there's some snap election. We've seen this a lot in Israel and we've seen this a few times in Britain in the last few years. In Peru, right. This, it's the opposite. If Congress passes two motions of no confidence, the president may close Congress and rule by decree. This is part of the Fujimorista constitution that legitimized the, the, the dictatorship and the coup in general of Alberto Fujimori Fujimori. This, is a, this constitution gives a lot of power to the Peruvian president, more so than you would find in right. the U.S. constitution. When Castillo That's a lot of power. A lot. <laughs> it's a lot of powers that you can recall different officials. You have full say over a foreign policy and so on. But 
the issue is that the right-wing Congress started stripping all his powers to the point where yeah. they prohibit him, prohibited him from traveling to Colombia to attend Gustavo Petro's inauguration. They even wow. tried to prevent him to meet, uh, from meeting with AMLO in Mexico, right? And so these mm. presidents, which is coincidentally the presidents that are now supporting President Castillo, uh, they had started to see this unfold. You know, in Bolivia, they had a, a, a fascist coup and they started to yes, see that the, the same signs, right? And so right. <clears throat> Pedro Castillo, he went with the people's desire because most people do want to see Congress close, but he didn't reference the 1979 Constitution, which then puts him in a legal, uh, how can I put it, limbo at this moment. We'll see how, oh, no. how things develop. Now, the things that what they have accused him of, what he's charged with, is called rebellion, which means that he takes up arms to overthrow the Peruvian state. But his defense is that he never took up arms. He just made a declaration and he got arrested by his own um, his own staff, basically. This is now I don't want to get into all the conspiracy theories. This, there's still a lot of things that have yet to be on Earth. But right, as right. far as we know, Pedro Castillo says that he doesn't remember ever reading this this letter. And he uh, points to being coerced into reading it. If you look at the video, you can see that he's very shooken up as he reads this message in a piece of paper, of a piece of paper. There's still a lot of um, mysterious things that, that have to be <clears throat> uncovered, apart from the, the role played by the U.S. Embassy in the days leading up to the coup and the betrayal of his minister of defense. And the general, right. there was a general who told him, one of the, the leading generals of the military, told him, look, if you do this, I'm going to back you up. This guy resigned from office two minutes before Castillo went on the air. Castillo didn't even know that he had resigned when he went on the air. So <clears throat> they set up a, a trap. Oh, my God. They set up a trap for Castillo. That same day that he got arrested, that court of support that he has came out. But it grew and it grew and it grew because they took up now the question of the new constitution and of new election. Uh -huh. Because the, the question of restoring Castillo to office is not a majority position, but it has a substantial amount of support. And not only that, is it's also strategic to support that. Because if Dino Boluarte resigns, and most Peruvians want her to resign, yeah, that means that the president of the Congress would become the new president. And that guy is a fascist. I mean, he ordered the massacre of peasants like in the 1990s. He's like, he's like worse than Bolsonaro. And he's Bolsonaro. still walking around? Oh, my God. Yeah, in Fujimorismo, look, Keiko Fujimori, when uh, during the elections, she was facing 30 years in prison for leading a criminal organization. Her political party, the Fujimorista flagship party, Fuerza Popular, People's Power, power if you will, they were about to be classified as a criminal organization because that's what they are. It's a facade. Mm. So we have narco-trafficking, we have smuggling, right. we have uh, all sorts of illicit businesses, money laundering, racketeering, and let's cover that up as a political party. <laughs> that's basically the whole point of Fujimorismo. It's, uh, you. It, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very sui generis, I guess, in the history of Peru that an already organized mafia becomes present. It's almost in a way, I don't know, this is perhaps not the best pop culture reference, 
uh, maybe you've seen the series Narcos and Pablo Escobar wanted to become president, something closer to that, an established mafia becomes the government. Yeah, I haven't seen Narcos, but I'm well, well, well uh, read on Pablo Escobar. He was of huge interest to me growing up, and I probably should have been reading that at a young age, but whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, well, I was going to say, in the end right now, the situation is that about 50 Peruvians have died in these protests in the past month. Nobody's letting up. People from the outside of Lima are coming to Lima, but they're being blockaded in highways in the middle of the desert. People are still fighting their way through. And, of course, this underscores one of the, the saddest, perhaps, realities of Peruvian politics is that the city of Lima has always been almost like the Santa Cruz of Bolivia or, you know, not to throw people under the bus like the Miami of Florida, mm-hmm. in that it houses a substantial far-right contingent. Lima was chosen to be the, the capital of the vice royalty of Peru. It was made to be the capital. And the qualifications to be the capital was A, to be on the coast, to be accessible to international trade, and to be in a place with really good climate. So they didn't put it up north because it was too hot. They didn't go too far down because it was too cold. They picked a place based off climate, a place that will have really nice climate for the ruling class to live in. And that's where they set wow. down roots in the coast. Mariategui, you know, our, uh, our leading uh, ideologue, the founder of Peruvian Marxism, the first mm-hmm. real in- Marxist intellectual of Latin America, he put it best. He said, Lima was born already an aristocrat, like it was born to be the ruling city, right? It was not, uh, he compares it to Chicago, he compares it to Paris, he compares it to uh, London and uh, uh, Antwerp, right? In that they become hubs, industrial hubs, because of their very uh, infrastructure and their place in the international economic system or national economic system. Lima doesn't have that. (laughs) Lima was just declared capital from day one. So by that unfortunate reality, Lima was at first uh, almost an exclusively white city. I mean, it had a a black population. It has a black population. But all the indigenous peoples were not living in Lima, and they were really not supposed to really go to Lima. It wasn't until the 20th century that uh, people perhaps that look closer to my phenotype came down to Lima. In fact, the neighborhood where my family is from is called San Martin de Porres. San Martin uh-huh. de Torres used to be one big state, one landed state from one landowner. One night, I think in the 1950s, a thousand families moved in, set up tents and said, we're not leaving. And that's how our uh, neighborhood was born. And it's been an, uh, wow. a place it's been punished for doing that ever since. Oh, my God. Haters. <laughs> Colonialists. Imperial. Yeah, Definitely. And, and, you know, this is a lot of, like, gr- I love how you start from the beginning just explaining, like, how this all started. Because it's a lot of good information just to get a full understanding of what's happening here. Um, and, you know, we only got a few minutes left. But thank you so much for, for giving us this history. My last question for you um, is that do you, do you feel that this resistance can change the hands of ties? For this, for this coup that's that's taking place, um, or are we seeing it being a lot longer of a struggle for the people of Peru? 
Well, the, the, the most intense struggle started years ago, like about now right. six years ago in, uh, or a little more now in 2016. And it was that chaos of presidents being uh, ousted every other year. We've been ousting presidents every other year. So it would be very strange if we didn't oust Dina Boluarte. It would be a little like, we're off our game this morning. So right, right. <laughs> we're more than likely to, to oust Dina Boluarte. Very much more than likely. But mm. the question is, can we get a constituent assembly going on? That's the, mm. real, the real key demand because presidents come and go. Literally, right. elections come and go. I'm an affiliate myself of the National Political Party, Peru Libre, and our General Secretary, okay. Vladimir Serrón, who, you know, the okay. party of that, used, that Pedro Castillo used to be part of until he was yes. asked to resign and then he resigned. You yeah. know, uh, Serrón, he, he made it very clear. He's like, look, we've already had a bunch of elections, a bunch of congressional elections. There's no guarantee that if we just have another election, the new Congress is going to be better. It's, it's not, it hasn't gotten better, right? It's really a question of can we change the rules of the game? And so Peru Libre and most of the revolutionary, in fact, all of the revolutionary movement, demand a constituent assembly. And now most more Peruvians, I believe 60 plus Peruvians also demand a constituent assembly. That's right. where we find unity. Is Castillo yeah. going to leave prison, uh, which is another interesting uh, tidbit. It could be. It could be that he, li- he leaves prison this year, hopefully. But... The Peruvian state is going crazy right now. I mean, they're going to arrest people. They're, excuse me, they're uh, demonizing, you know, even influencers on the internet in Peruvian television. So Peruvian television, which is a whole, I don't even want to get into the ball, but I'll just say this. Peruvian (laughs) television is subsidized by the Peruvian state. It only caters to the richest Peruvians, the top two demographics, which is called the AB demographics, which is the richest Peruvians and the upper middle class. They don't advertise to anyone else because they don't have to. Now, why do I say this? Because it points towards the real link, the real dependence between this trash press, which is that's what they really are, and the state. If the state says do this, then the trash press does that. You know what I mean? And so the trash press has been spreading misinformation, targeting protesters and social leaders and uh, even the right now immigration in Peru the immigration system wants to bar Evo Morales from coming to Peru and one of the reasons why they want to bar Evo Morales is because the Peruvian left the Peruvian revolutionary movement is very fragmented if you go to any of these rallies you're going to get like 50 different newsletters pamphlets manifestos all sorts of uh, literature. I mean, if you want to read for the whole afternoon, just stay in a protest for 10 minutes. You're going to get a lot of magazines, journals, all sorts of literature. But when right. everyone, And they fight each other, too. They, they polemicize against oh, each other. Man, sounds like the U.S. with the left. <laughs> yeah. But when Evo Morales shows up, everybody behaves. Everybody's a comrade. <laughs> and my brother, my sister... You know, everybody starts hugging each other. It's like daddy showed up. Everybody has to start getting along. And he has a a very unifying effect, an electrifying effect on the Peruvian revolutionary movement. And the Peruvian state knows this. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, shouts out to Evo Morales, man. That that guy is just amazing. Um, Yeah, Evo Pueblo. 
And you know, it's 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 sad that he had to leave leave power like that, but it's okay because Bolivia has another left president now, so uh, it's all right. But I would love for evil to come back. That would be dope. <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing about it: if Evo Morales is the leader of the ruling party, right? But if right. he was president, he couldn't come to Peru. He couldn't do shit. He would do the first, which is very important. But it is very cool to have this very. Uh, how can I put it? Almost like a catalytic figure, be able to travel mm-hmm. and, and to Bebo's new role. You know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah, right. that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I think that's a good. He, he's he has so much respect from all over. It, it, he can just go around to the working class and inspire more. Yeah, yeah. I was well, in, and I was just gonna <laughs> say because I know we got to close. I remember yeah. when I was in the inauguration of Elmo Morales, several yeah. heads of state there. And everybody went crazy for Castillo. And then they had different Chilean president uh, and mm-hmm. so on. And then they introduced El Morales, who is not a president. At that point, everybody went crazy. The whole crowd. Wow. Almost as much, basically, as is very respected in the, in the South. That That's amazing. That's amazing. That's really good. So much for coming on. I'd love to have you back on later on, um, whenever. But and I think a lot of people are getting a lot of good information from this when they watch this. So I'm definitely taking your time out on your busy schedule, being an amazing teacher to talk to me about. Uh, and shout out to Camilla for uh, she was the one that actually uh, uh, referred. That is fire. Troika is pretty cool too. You know, I'm part of Troika myself. Yeah. Uh, oh, awesome. And we think, but yeah, we're out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to have. And thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for having me. It was pretty cool. Thank you for what you do. We got to trust <laughs> the ain't going to thank us, right? Uh, right. Thank you for, uh, for definitely having me. And uh, I'm down to other stuff, you know, what's going down in South yeah. Florida, the communist movement and all that. One that's online. Um, I'm going to put the link below so you'll be able to um, and keep on fighting everybody. Again, this is Jabari Vak Podcast. We bring music, politics, and culture together. And have a very nice day. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Blank period, yeah. I'm a black, brown, and indigenous. Gotta holler if you really feeling this. Gotta holler if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holler if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy We gonna win in the end, yeah We gonna live in abundance I gotta keep it a hundred, ayy If you don't like it, then fuck it, ayy We gonna win in the end, yeah We gonna, we gonna, we gonna I gotta keep it a hundred We gotta stop all the stunting You know we coming from nothing Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing We gotta do something different We gotta change how we living we gotta do better for women, we gotta do better for children We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish, or Muslim, or Christian It doesn't matter your religion, you gotta stand against the system Or else you're just another villain, how you just sitting there chilling Hey everyone, if you like the content that you're hearing, uh, please support the show uh, We have subscriptions up right now for a monthly dollar a month or up to whatever donation you feel uh, comfortable with. And also, you can hit my link bar, which is in um, the description of the show, uh, to send me donations for Venmo and Cash App. And all this goes into bringing in better 
quality and also better content. So thank you. Have a good day.